everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, this is Jen. Welcome to the podcast. So before we start introducing our guests for the show, I wanted to let you know about a brand new segment we're launching with this series. It's called Jen's Favorite Things. You may remember that back in the fall, we did a show that featured myself and my amazing gift guru husband, Brandon, because uh, listen, as anybody who knows me knows, if I was in charge of the gift giving in this family, everybody would just get like, I don't know, socks and gift cards to Chili's. Um, he's the, he's the one, he's the guy. So we got so much response from that favorite things episode. So many of you wanted to know more about not only these unique, unique gifts and products from vendors that a lot of you hadn't heard of, um, but these are all companies who are giving back in some way to a charity or a cause. They're making their communities better, the world better. So we decided to make this an ongoing segment. And just for you, dear podcast listener, we'll have special exclusive offers uh, for our For the Love podcast family on all these awesome products that we'll talk about. So going forward, you guys, you'll find this new segment, Jen's Favorite Things, at the end of every show. But today, since we're kicking it off, I wanted to put it right up front because I'm super excited to talk about three companies that I absolutely love. So Bear Soaps. The Bear Soap Sampler Pack is the perfect Mother's Day gift. It comes with four samples of their top-selling handmade bars, all in this branded cotton bag, and it gives back to women. So use the code GINHATMAKER15 for 15% off at bear-soaps.com. Allison and Aubrey is an affordable, on-trend jewelry line by mother-daughter duo Allison and Aubrey Lombatis to encourage women to borrow and bond over their love of style and accessories. So get 15% off with code for the love 15 at allisonandaubrey.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Jen Hatmaker, your very happy hostess, and this is the For the Love podcast. This is called For the Love of Women Who Built It. And we have been talking to women who are building companies and organizations and nonprofits and um, leadership consortiums, and they are smart, and they are interesting, and they are ambitious, and they are big hearted and they're actually just really making a difference in the world. So I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest. Um, we have on Meredith Walker today and, um, you may or may not know her, but you are going to love what she is building. So Meredith began her television career producing, um, the award-winning Nick news. Do you remember Nick news with Linda Ellerby? So Meredith traveled to literally all 50 states to interview kids who had really interesting stories to tell. And this sort of became this foundation for her deepening interest in the lives of young people. So she went on to become the head of the talent department at Saturday Night Live, my favorite place. Um, And there she met and became best friends with Amy Poehler. So Um, Follow all those crumbs because Meredith now serves as executive director of the organization she and Amy Poehler co-created together called Amy Poehler's Smart Girls. 
and it's headquartered right here in Austin, Texas, my hometown. So smart goals is so cool. Uh, anybody raising any daughter is going to love this. Um, anybody who just wants hope for the next generation is going to love this. Smart girls is dedicated to helping young people essentially cultivate their authentic selves. So they emphasize intelligence and imagination over fitting in. They celebrate curiosity over gossip. Um, it's really a place where girls can be their weird and wonderful selves. Isn't that lovely? Don't you wish we could join it as grown adults? Um, they're supporting, uh, girls STEM education. And it's just, it's just, we're going to talk about all this and you're going to love it. So Meredith is constantly on the road. She's smart girls. Number one spokeswoman spreading the word, hosting all kinds of events all around the United States. And, um, so she delivers the smart girls message with through workshops and camps and online materials and curriculum. And she wants to ensure that the mission of smart girls is going all the way around the globe in the real world. And so She's just a phenomenal leader. Plus she's funny and fun. Um, I'm excited for you to meet her. And let me tell you this right before she comes on, I'm going to just tell you in advance. I'm sorry for some of the fuzzy sound you are going to hear in this episode. And here's why this is just real life. Um, I'm hosting a wedding in my backyard next weekend, which is so exciting. It's our first wedding ever to have at the house. Um, and a bunch of my friends are here today and they're outside my office, um, power washing my disgusting sidewalks and porch and getting it ready. And it just is what it is. And there's too much work to be done to stop. So if you sound what, if you hear what sounds like a waterfall, it's just my house getting ready for a wedding. And you know what? You guys already put up with the train in the background on this podcast all the time. So I figured you could handle a power washer over one episode. So sorry, everybody. Um, that's what happens in a real life scenario. Okay. Without any further ado, I am super, super glad to welcome to the show, Meredith Walker. Okay. Meredith, welcome to this show. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked me to do this. I've been looking forward to it. Well, you know, you and I spoke together at Together. Um, when was that? Last fall, maybe? September? Yes, it was in the fall. It was in the fall, yes. Mm -hmm. And so we were both kind of special guests for the evening. And I hadn't known you yet or known about your work. And I remember sitting in the front row listening to you thinking, what in the world? This woman lives in my town. Like, I need to know her. And everyone needs to know her. So I just um, found a way to like convince you to get on this podcast. <laughs> you just, you fell for it. Thank you. I totally fell for it. <laughs> you did. You did. My powers worked on you. Listen, we could not be more thrilled to have you on this series, Women Who Built It. You're so perfect for this. We've had some really phenomenal um, entrepreneurs on the show and women, um, who've built other nonprofits that are really changing the world. And you and Amy are squarely in that camp. So in a minute, I definitely want to talk about smart girls and how you built that from the idea stage to where it is today. But I would love to talk first a little bit about essentially how Meredith was built. Um, because your story is really interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued that you have been such an important part of raising the voice for women and girls in our culture 
through your work in entertainment. You just have a really interesting niche um, by which you you came up. So um, I read, first of all, let's go back in your story. So I read that you've had a, very, a variety of interesting jobs um, before you were fancy, before you were like a fancy entertainment person, um, like you worked in Montana, for example. And just tell us a little bit about your story, kind of where you started um, and how that led you up to television. Well, I, what I call it is the unscripted path because I knew a lot of friends and people I went to high school and college with who had these maps to follow, these little scripts, and which is fine for them, but I didn't have one. And so I just kind of fumbled forward um, and I said yes to things before I was ready. The the job in Montana being a great example of that, they um, they were recruiting people from my college and needed a cook. And I really wanted to go. So I applied without telling them I didn't know how to cook. I know. Hey. And this is before the internet. Hey, just one small caveat. Right. Yeah, totally. Because like, you can't just catch up and watch how-to videos, you know, for two weeks. But, but I, I ended up going and learning on my feet and um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of learning, like you can just move forward and do the best you can as you go. And, 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 you know, you might be embarrassed and flop around a little and that's okay. Um, uh, but so, yes, I have said yes to things that sound as fun as that, but I've also said yes to things that were under fluorescent lighting in a cubicle with shoulder pads, totally. you know, so you know, right. like, they're not all fun stories, but you do with shoulder pads. How oh, old yeah. are you? Are we the same age? I'm 49. Okay. Yeah, I'm 43. I'm just behind you, but girl, I wore me some shoulder pads. Oh, I bet I yeah. was leading the trends for you. I'll, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, and, um, and, and in hot Houston, that's where I grew up. So, um, oh, sure. Oh yeah. Um, and so I just, I just kept following things that caught my attention for the most part. And, um, and that, that was what really got me moving away from what I thought I was supposed to do. Like I kept thinking I'm supposed to find these jobs and find a husband and start like a family and do all these things instead of thinking about what I cared about and what, like what value I might be able to add to something. And that's when I remembered um, a course I had taken in college that studied the series Eyes on the Prize, which is a documentary series about the civil rights movement. And I remember just having a fire lit in me by that course and by, of course, the, the powerful storytelling of that. And um, and I remember thinking, I can't extinguish this fire because I'm trying to meet the marks set up by even, I don't even know who you, and instead follow that I care about this. So, I mean, as soon as I remembered how much I loved that, I signed up for a class at Rice University at night, hmm. um, which you didn't need credentials, like you didn't need your GPA, uh -huh. it did not matter. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and I started following broadcast journalism and I was learning about journalists hmm. and like the women who were changing the way, the attitudes people had about women in the news. Yeah. And that's when I decided to write a letter to Linda Ellerby, who was a legendary yeah. broadcast journalist. And from there, I became an intern for her. And that's that was how it all happened. Okay. That, I really like that. I want to camp there for just one minute because I'm positive that there are a lot of people, women specifically, listening. And I bet you just hit a trigger for them that there is a difference 
between working really hard to sort of skip your way through the markers, the the very sort of predetermined, preset markers that a woman walks through in her the progression of her life. There is a difference between that sometimes and what's in our heart and what's in our soul and what is driving us and what we're here to bring to the world. And that departure is no small deal. Like that requires something of you to say, there might be sort of this alternative path, or maybe, maybe some of these things are out of order. You know, maybe I, maybe wife and motherhood is in the cards. Maybe it isn't, but maybe that's like step seven and eight, not one and two. I really, I respect that. And I wish more women trusted themselves to listen to their intuition, to listen to their gut, to follow like, what, where does my imagination go? Like, I really like what you just said. What, what would you tell a woman listening that's got that, she's got that gut instinct that is, is leading her imagination somewhere and yet it doesn't fit in the template and she's worried about it. Yeah. Well, I would say you have to just kind of practice overriding what your what your the like the fear um is what makes us kind of shut that down and i just say follow it it's almost like i read somewhere someone said follow your own like where you go in the library or the bookstore think about that oh i love that yeah. isn't that great oh my gosh i love that and cuz that, that's the thing oh, it's like how can you pursue so cuz i that's the thing i was like i wasn't a painter i wasn't drawn to medicine and so I thought, how do you figure out what your passion is? Everyone's telling me about bliss and following my passion, but, you know, I don't understand. And then when you start thinking about what were the things that felt like it mattered to me, what broke my heart or what, you know, just anything, where did I want to dig deeper? And and then don't put any pressure on yourself that you have to do that for the rest of your life or, or chuck everything else. Great but just, point. Yeah, just like gently follow that and then see what happens. And I think oh, the other thing good. that's important to remember for me um, is that I didn't feel – when I was younger, I, I felt very awkward and uh, almost like, um, you know, I don't know if I'm one of those people that's going to end up without meeting all those markers. I felt mm. kind of unconventional. I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. But then when I started learning about other women who were doing things out of order or, yeah. um, you know, doing different things, just seeing that it's out there, mm. just, you know, that that's why that storytelling can be so important because that's the thing. As long as you see it out there, you know, you're not the only one. And then it doesn't feel as heavy and as like so strange. So that's true in a thousand different ways. Um, that sort of me too in general is very, very powerful. Um, be it in trauma recovery or, um, sort of forward facing momentum or sort of vision for life, just knowing you're not the only one who's going to either do things out of order or skip a few steps altogether is really empowering. So let's go back to Linda Ellerby. So you just get out a pen and paper and write her. I'm dying laughing. That's so ballsy. (laughs) Um, and it worked. It totally worked. Can you talk about how you ended up in television working with her? Um, and then specifically the kinds of things you're doing at Nick news, which is so fun. Oh yes, yes, yes. I, well, you know, she's Linda is from Texas. So I think, I don't remember what my letter said, but I'm sure there was some wisecrack about Uh us both being from Texas that might've caught her attention. Um, but then we talked, we exchanged a few letters and then we ended up talking on the phone and that's when she invited me to be an intern. And this is what I always tell when I'm speaking in high schools or colleges. I'm like, you know, pay, 
while we're rolling our eyes and like just wishing for mm. certain things to be over with, um, like I did when I was a receptionist, sure. receptionist during the summer, it was, it, but it was that experience that made me pretty good on the phone. Yeah. And then when I was an intern and I was good on the phone, that's what got me noticed. And then I got more responsibilities and things like that. So I always like pointing that out because everything's like developing yourself a little bit. But, um, Mm. anyway, so I, that was, that was, we, we made the show Nick news at Linda's production company called lucky duck productions. And, um, and, and to me, it felt like such a great, um, um, next step after that, what I was saying about eyes on the prize, because what we were doing there is we were helping to tell stories. We were sure. helping to tell the stories of young people. Uh, that's what we did for the most part. We would do specials every now and then too. Um, and so I just traveled around the country going in to the homes of like kids who were reenacting the underground railroad because their ancestors had done it or, you know, um, girls who were trying to change the sports program at their schools because they weren't allowed to play the sports they wanted to play. Or even, even somebody who, um, who was like being persecuted for her faith in her Mm -hmm. community. And so it was really just a privilege beyond any I've had in my life to be invited into, Mm -hmm. into homes and have them trust to tell me their story and make a sub, um, an episode out of it. So that was the kind of stuff that we were Mm. doing. And it all, you know, it's from the top down. It all came from the way Linda said, you know, this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to do things. These are smart kids and we're going to help tell their stories. And so that's what we did. I love it. How long did you work there? Oh gosh, I think eight or nine years. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us then you went straight from Nick news right over to Saturday night life. Is, was that the, was that a similar? So tell us a little bit about that experience because, um, you know, I'm a big fan of comedy, um, of sketch comedy specifically and improv and just uh, that I've sort of been a student and a fan of that my entire life. And I, um, I've read a lot about, uh, a lot of, things by women associated with the show in your era, what, about eight or 10 years ago, more or less? It was more, it was a little bit longer ago. A little bit longer, 10 to 15? I was there from like 98 to 2002. Yes. Okay. It sounds like um, even then when women were clearly like a a solid part of the show, um, it's huge key to its its success too, um, that getting a sketch on the show that really related to women was a challenge. Um, and obviously the cast and writers made some strides during that time. You know, Tina Fey eventually became the head writer. Um, what was your view of the climate during your tenure there and how women's voices got advanced through the medium during yours and Amy's time on the show? I was on the other end of the hall for the most part from away uh-huh. from the cast and the writers because um, I was putting together the hosts and the musical guests. But what I saw there from my experience with interacting with the with the hosts and the um, the writers and cast was that, I mean, it was a real um, heyday because Tina was yeah. she that was when she became she went from head. She was already head writer when I got there, but uh-huh. then she yeah. um, actually went to do the news. And then yeah. when. When they had Amy and Tina doing the news together, I magic. Mean, it really was. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was so powerful. It was like these two intelligent um, and strong, funny women yeah. in those positions. So it really seemed it was a time of of power for them. It was a time of power to watch. Um, but two women who were so so gifted, so so funny, and they brought sort of this 
female edge to that portion of the show that I had never seen. And I've been watching since I was a kid. So, um, interesting. So you primarily worked with hosts and hostesses. Who was your favorite host that you ever worked with? on SNL? Oh my gosh. That is, is, that's a hard question. I didn't is. prepare you. No, it's just, it's so hard to pinpoint, but, um, I have to say that my answer is Jack Black. Nice. Really? So nice. And, <laughs> and he really assimilated, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you come into host Saturday night live, we're all there hundred hours a day. Totally. Oh my day. gosh. Like, you know, it's, it's this little tight knit group. And so these people yeah. come in and they're like, where's, where do I sit for lunch? You know, that's kind right. of what it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you have to kind of just be open and, and vulnerable, you know, and just say, I'm here. What do I do? And some people don't do that. Some people kind of stay private because it does feel so strange and all that, but he just comes right in and, you know, is just one of the family and, and he's just a really, very kind person. And, um, so it was always really fun when he came on. I love that. Uh, that, that absolutely confirms what I would suspect of him is, do we get to talk crap any, about anybody who, who was rough? No, I cannot do that. No, you so can't trouble, do it. But I will I knew you. you were going to say we that. Okay. When we, when we, we get off. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> lady. You know what I'm getting at when we're off the air? Cause I know there are some crazies that hosted that show. Okay. So let's go back to that. So you and Amy obviously became fast friends on that show obviously. So, um, I read that the two of you spent a ton of time talking about teen and preteen years and how powerful and empowering it was when somebody listened to you and took you seriously. Um, which, um, I was reading that and just making a mental note, such a good note for us to remember. I'm raising a bunch of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got two girls that are teens. And so they do, they need to feel heard. They need to feel seen. So if you, can you tell us a little bit about your friendship with Amy, um, sort of the kinship that you developed and when, when you first started thinking just about the seed of the idea that ultimately became smart girls. I would love to talk about this. It's my favorite thing. Um, well, as far as, is when we met and you know, it's sometimes you just like you go to camp or you go to a conference Mm -hmm. or somewhere and you just, you meet somebody and you're like, there you are. Great. Totally. You know, and for whatever reason that was, that just happened with us and we just were thick as thieves and, um, and you know, just never looked back. And one of the things though, that when we would talk about our childhood, we realized that we had in common that, you know, adolescence was, had been a rough time. And then we realized more and more that when we would talk about it with our other friends, they'd say me too. And then our parents would say, or our moms, you know, would say that wasn't an easy time for us either. And that, Mm -hmm. and so that's what really started. It was like, you know, everyone kind of feels alone in their own funkiness during that time, it can be very lonely. And so that's what we were talking about earlier, like knowing, no, this happens to a lot of people. um, And not even where you are, like in the social hierarchy of those times, it doesn't matter if you're the mean one or the one being ganged up on. It's just not that great, you know, Mm -hmm. because of all that's going on with you separating from your parents and all that stuff. So um, we just talked about what could there possibly be out there in the world to help how can anybody be helped through that phase? Because, you know, and I've since then, you know, I've read all the books about it and all that. And there really is only so much sure. parents can do. 
um, hmm, because, great point. You know, because of the nature of adolescence, they're pulling away from you. So mm-hmm. where can you, who can step in? What can be done? And that's when hmm. we started thinking about it and thought, you know what? When, when people, either it was someone at church or a babysitter down the street, when they just thought we were just fine and talked to us and asked us questions about ourselves, that felt pretty damn mm-hmm. good. Uh, sure and did. so we thought maybe there's a way, now that there's this internet out there, you know, <laughs> we thought mm-hmm, right. maybe we could kind of <laughs> offer that somehow um, you know, through mm-hmm. the internet. And so that's how we all, that's how we started talking about it. So, um, here you were, this really successful woman in the entertainment world at uh, what I would consider something of a dream job. And so you've, you've decided to take what you've learned and take this passion in your heart for kids, girls especially, which obviously had to have been developed over at Nick News. I mean, that, sure. out, you're, you're in the homes of these kids. All of a sudden you fall in love. You can't help it. And so you decide we're going to start this. So how did you do it? This is this whole series is women who built it. So how did you, first of all, how'd you hone in on your mission? Because there are a thousand layers of just adolescent development and empowerment, and you could have taken a hundred different approaches to it. Um, so what did it kind of look like? What did smart girls look like in the early days Um, and how did it sort of develop and, and sort of, how did you dial in the vision a little bit to what it is now? Well, it was a mix of great planning and luck and not planning. (laughs) Yeah. Great point. (laughs) I like exactly understand what you mean by that. Exactly. I think you just described every like successful business venture ever. I think so. Well, um, at first, I just, like I was mentioning earlier, I follow my, I was following my curiosity about it, you know, mm-hmm. that we have it in common. So I, I actually put the time in because I cared about it. And so I read a lot of studies and I read a lot of books and I could see some things that were actual solutions to helping girls at this stage, which I think as, as altruistic and, you know, big hearted as that sounds, obviously it's because I'm sure I wanted to heal something within myself because that's, that was a hard time. Mm-hmm. And I think that all I really do think all women carry residue from that time in their life because we just didn't, we didn't I have the tools. Too. Right. And so, you know, I, I think, um, and I think that's why this resonates with so many people, but, um, I, and so I think as I was going, I was kind of holding a version of myself in my heart as well about, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find a way to communicate with and, um, and help girls going through the, those strange years just to help them feel heard and and less lonely. Um, And so as I read things, I would say, I would see things that would work. And so at first we actually thought about, we were just sitting around and we said, let's do a camp for girls. And except Mm -hmm. how do you start a camp? Okay, hang on. Right. (laughs) Who knows how to start a camp? Not either one of us. Okay. And then we, I mean, it was pretty funny because we just thought uh, we both, know how to tell story, how to produce and tell stories and do television stuff. So maybe we should actually head in that direction. Uh, And so that's what we did. We actually started out with a web series and um, because we wanted to, we wanted to, to celebrate kind of just the everydayness in the life of a girl who had an interest rather than it was, we didn't want to find like the best ceramics artist you know, in the world, mm. we wanted, we just wanted a girl who really enjoyed doing ceramics to come on and talk about that's it. Good. You know? So like that's what that. it's, that was mm-hmm. the first, um, version of it was that, and then it grew into its own channel and then it became 
a more of this social media platform. Um, but we started just producing as we both knew how to do. And it grew from there. And we didn't know it would. I mean, that, this has totally evolved. Okay, guys, quick break to tell you about two things I'm super excited about. So first of all, if you're feeling like you spend too much, eat too much, own too much, waste too much, you might want to check out the seven experiment video series and books I developed and take the seven week challenge against excess that literally changed our family's lives permanently. I'm, I'm serious. And listen, if you'll use the code podcast at checkout, you'll get $10 off any package. If you already have the book, and some of you do, we have a package for you too, and the code still counts. So you can find out more about all of this at the7experiment.com, the7experiment.com. Second, in the spirit of my latest book of Mess and Moxie and my good friend Nicole Nordeman's latest album, Every Mile Mattered, the two of us are hitting the road for the 12 City Moxie Matters Tour this spring. So it starts January 24th, and you guys, really, it is it is such a great night. Tickets are as low as $24, and they are selling out by the day. So grab your friends and get your tickets at moxymatterstour.com. We seriously cannot wait to see you. So all this information about the seven experiment and the tour is also on my website at jenhatmaker.com. Okay, you guys, back to the show. So describe what Smart Girls looks like today. So, um, you know, you mentioned it's now this huge social media platform, which it is. Um, You call (laughs) it a hub for information and comedy and community. That's like my trifecta. Um, So what, how do people experience what you have to offer right now? What does it look like? Well, we have, we, we offer content that, that helps girls develop their own thinking. That's what that's what we hope. Um, we have profiles of women who who don't really um, like society doesn't define them. They they have yeah. just like forged their own way and and um, advice and women sharing their own life experiences and other and other young women sharing their experiences. And so we're kind of offering a springboard for girls to develop mm-hmm. their self identity. That's what that's what we think of it, and that happens through our social channels and the kind of stuff that we can put on. But we also do some in-person events um, when we, whenever we can. Um, and so that's what it is right now. And then we're actually looking to, it's just a matter of timing and all this kind of stuff, to grow that into more live events where we have local chapters um, mm, and great idea. bigger things going on. Yeah. So your motto is change the world by being yourself which is such an important message to send to our, our young girls right now. I just, I'm, I'm watching the world tell them the opposite. Right. Um, and so it's so empowering for them to hear that. And, um, you've said before that, and, and you mentioned this kind of a minute ago that you considered yourself a late bloomer and I identify with this. Um, can you tell us, um, a little bit by what you meant by that? And, you know, you said you, you sort of alluded to, um, going internal, um, to your own um, memories and history when when you were this age and um, sort of what you learned about becoming comfortable in your own skin and and what your own experience how your own experiences essentially led you to lead this organization. Oh yes, I mean I love all the, I love talking about this so much. I hope you have the next three hours free. Okay, Girl. good. 
The microphone is yours. <laughs> I am definitely still becoming comfortable in my own skin. I mean, I, I am definitely a lot more comfortable in it. But the reason I'm still doing it is I, I think we're all fighting that battle between fitting in and being our truest self. Because there are certain things you do more for shift to just be a functioning member of a society. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's keeping that balance healthy that, that can be challenging sometimes, especially if we didn't question it enough along the way. So mm-hmm. I try to follow my own advice. And, and, and what I mean by that is um, what, I, what we talk about at Smart Goals a lot. And that is like, even though something's hard, keep doing it. Um, don't let the fear of messing mm. up get make you stop, um, and also keep trying goofy new things. A lot of times, people okay. yeah people will stop themselves because it might look embarrassing or like they don't want to get their hair wet in the pool because uh, they, yeah. they don't like how they look in a bathing suit or you know whatever it could possibly mm. be. And it's kind of like you have to kind of you have to fight letting embarrassment have that power over you because you miss out mm-hmm. on a lot of joy and novelty and laughter. Right. Um, because if you laugh when you fall, it, you know, it's a lot, it's a better memory mm. than being very upset about having fallen down. So, um, so I try and do that kind of stuff whenever I can. And, and sometimes it's not as fun as it sounds when you're saying that's something you should do, but, mm, it's totally. <laughs> but it's true. Like what you were saying, um, just a minute ago is that, yeah, the, the world is telling all of us, no matter our age, you know, not to be ourselves. It's like, buy this thing so that you change this, change this. And especially things like anti-aging, which drives me bananas. Right. Totally. You know, there are a lot of things to be anti about aging is a big waste of time. Um, Because guess what? It's going to happen. It's happening. It's, yeah, yep. that's what I always say. It's happening. It's happening. So don't do. um, and so, yeah, but it's all about like just not being yourself and who you are. And there's so much pressure to to morph and to shrink, to feel accepted. And um, and so it almost sounds like a platitude when we say change the world by being yourself. That's our motto. But it's not. It's actually a tough direction to follow. It sure is. And so it's something to remember doing. And yeah, and it, ta- and it takes effort and it takes time. And um, and and I it, when I say like that I was a late bloomer, it was because of that kind of stuff. It was not discovering the the things about myself, I don't think, um, where, where a lot of my strengths were. Um, because I was so worried about all that other stuff mm. for too long. And when I finally just was like, here, this is it. This is yeah. me and my story. And we kind of, kind of let it start happening. That's when I actually became, I think, a, a more interesting person to myself. Mm. Yeah, me too. I wish I could go back and convince my teenage self to believe that and to follow that path. You know, I've got a, my second kid is she's a senior in high school and I've watched her have to She's had to work really hard to hang on to her individuality and um, to sort of dance to her own song. And um, and, I, and I'm looking at all the teens right now, uh, like four out of my five kids are teenagers. So, oh my gosh. Um, I know, just whatever. And so um, I think this message is just as important for parents to hear. Like my parent brain is on fire right now because um, I think some kids encounter the sort of fit in pressure, the kind of don't fail pressure, the sort of 
um, don't risk it pressure from their parents. You know, I think in many cases, we're the ones sending the message that everything is high stakes, um, that their success is absolutely dependent on every day of their freshman year in high school. Um, you know, and they are, they are either building for failure or future. It's so much pressure. And I don't, I don't know that we give our teenagers a lot of room to be silly, to be different, um, to follow their hearts and their instincts, because I mean, hell we've been told this is the template. Like if you want your kid to succeed and move out, you know, you better move them through this, this specific story. And yet it's not right for everybody. Um, and so I, I I wonder if you have an ear with all of these girls, parents, are they listening to, I think that there are a good number of parents and at least like people who care about these girls who do listen. And that's, but I do, I try and go into schools as much as I can because, um, whenever I talk about this and bring it up, I will look out and there will be girls crying who will come up to me afterwards and just say, there's so much pressure and just hearing that it's okay to change my mind about my major, you know, or, or, you know, change my mind in my Um, forties. It's such a release on that pressure valve. And so I hope that I hope to reach even more parents because it's true. Like it, it's, I, it, it comes from a good place. Of course, you want them to be able to provide for themselves yeah. and then, and, and have fulfilling lives. But it is, it's that uh, they might be missing out on chances to actually be living their life because totally. they're trying to meet up yet, yeah, meet up expectations. I also like to dismantle this idea that, the, the pressure comes, it trickles down. And so, yes, I do understand the good intention behind telling an eighth grader, um, that these are the things that will prepare you for college, but also they're in eighth grade. Exactly. When do they just get to be an eighth grader? Like, why do they have to be preparing to be a 20 year old at in when they're 13? I just, I get the sentiment. But at some point, I don't expect an eighth grader to be making decisions that a 20 year old would make. And so I just, I love the idea of releasing a bit of that pressure and to some degree, letting our, letting our kids, letting our girls specifically be, let them be who they are. Let them enjoy their childhood. Let them enjoy their adolescence. Let them take some risks and fail. Um, that's a good teacher, actually. That's one of the best teachers they'll ever encounter is failure. Definitely. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Like when we're cushioning every blow, I think we're actually doing our kids a disservice. Um, and so I, I love your messaging. Another thing that you've said that you've worked really hard to create is this place where, as you say, a safe haven for girls to engage in intelligent conversation and to look for those qualities that make them more alike than different. I like that for a variety of reasons. I wish you could, could you just, could you teach that to the world right now? Could you teach that to Washington, DC? Um, if you, there's any way, if do you have a phone number that you can call? Um, I like, I like this. Tell us about some of the things girls, um, how girls can experience one another. And I'm assuming that the, the reach and the scope of girls that are connected to your organization is very diverse, right? You have every kind of girl. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, for sure. Um, I, you know, the thing about smart girls is, um, well, okay. It's kind of starts with, 
I come from, my father was an Episcopal priest and the, and he and my mom were both civil rights activists. So I, and I remember so distinctly when I was in high school, um, and like AIDS cases were first being reported and my parents were so noticeably inclusive and welcoming to people who had been diagnosed. And I just remember witnessing that, um, being kind to people that meant who others were not being kind to, um, it really made an impression on me. And, and as a result, inclusion is incredibly important to me. So we put a lot of effort into building this community as an inclusive one. Um, and, and so really what matters the most to me is that we have people around who are as curious about other humans as they are about themselves and, and that they are curious about themselves. Cause there's also, there's so much that we just kind of assume like, that's just how it's always been done or that's how my family does it or, you know, whatever, um, kind of thing you can identify with. And, um, so we just think it's really important that we all see that there are these common threads of humanity among us. Um, even though there are differences, those don't outweigh the commonality and our humanity. And so that that's just always been a, a big priority for us. Um, I respect that so much. And I think when, when teenagers can learn that, not just learn it, but practice it um, in adolescence, it, what it does is it helps create the kind of adults we are hoping to pass the baton to, you know, when, yes. when we don't get these very clueless and sheltered young adults entering the world, just deer in the headlights, having no idea how to connect or understand people that are different from them because they were raised in such an echo chamber or they were raised in a place where everybody looked the same and sounded the same and thought the same. Um, I, we're, that is a recipe for disaster. I mean, that's, that is where we see some of the, the fragmented bits of society. I think that we see now where literally we cannot understand each other. We just cannot understand your perspective or your experience or whatever the thing is. Um, so to me, the work that you're doing in around that specifically is, it's kind of a monumental cultural shift that I am so glad to hear of. I, I think that's going to produce the next generation of young adults um, that we're kind of hoping for. And I'm sure you see them coming up. I mean, you must, you must encounter phenomenal, phenomenal young girls. Don't you? I really do. I mean, actually every single one of them, Yeah. Uh, you know, in their own way. And, um, and whether it's in a way that's recognized by a large number of people or just by, you know, the people that near and dear to them, the, there is, there is, uh, something's going on. Something big is going on. Hmm. I, I I think so too. And, and I think it requires, um, leaders like you who are willing to do the hard work of mentoring and of raising hard discussions. It's so funny. I see a lot of parents almost unwilling to broker challenging or difficult conversations with their kids. Um, whether it's that we're too, um, resistant to tension or we think they don't know, or we think they don't see this or it doesn't affect their lives or we're unsure of our own space in it. Um, I, I think kids are so much smarter than they're getting credit for. They're smart. They're paying attention. Um, they're not blind and they're not deaf. And so they are able to look around culturally and see sort of the breaks in our communities 
Um, and so when, when, when no one's willing to step into those hard spaces and say, let's talk about this, or let's, let's see how we can change the story in our own family. How can we um, inject kindness into this hard place? It's just a vacuum. They're just left in a vacuum. And so I, I think your leadership is really important for more than one reason. And that is definitely one of them. I love the kind of com- community that you're building. And I think it's so important. And so um, I've said a thousand times that I think women lifting up other women just makes all the difference. I mean, I just, this is such a time, um, to be a woman in this culture. And so I'm curious when you look at our current sort of culture and, uh, and all the things going on right now, the me too movement, um, this really important discussion of pay gaps, obviously not only in entertainment, your world, um, but across all industries between men and women, and then even between um, white women and women of color. Um, and the, this sort of, what feels right now, like the swift action being taken by companies and organizations to sort of honestly clean house and to right some of these wrongs and to separate themselves from offenders and refuse to keep protecting abusive behavior. Um, I, I think, I think your work, um, and the work of others like you during doing similar, um, mentorship has been a part of this slow build kind of, um, drawn out for years that has finally broken through. It feels like that to me. Why do you think it just in your opinion that now is the time? Why does everything seem to be catching lightning right now? Why, why, why the momentum? What is, is it just a perfect storm? Um, and and what do you think all of this means for the generation of girls that you're mentoring? Um, and then finally, how can we capitalize on this momentum and keep it moving forward? That was a lot of questions. I don't even know. Well, I think the beginning of it. Okay. It is. uh, I don't know if it's the perfect storm or if it's the accumulation of, you know, we stand on the shoulders of women and they stood on the shoulders of women who have fought so hard for, you know, to be able for us to have a credit card, to be able to vote, you know, to all these things. And so everything has been building and building and building. Yes, and, right. And then to have, and it all, it's all based mm. on courage, of course, especially with like me too, what it takes to come out and tell your story and, um, mm. and, and it's volume, right. you know, because when, when it all happens and then when, when those stories can be mm. told and heard, um, it really starts building into something. And so I just, I think that, that it's the accumulation of mm. a lot of courage is really, and, and I think what we do is we just keep supporting yeah. each other, keep supporting women. That's how it's staying so strong and that's how it will continue. Mm. Um, I, that's what I think. But I think that, um, I also think it's important, mm. you know, what you were talking about with parents and, and, and kind of subjects that are addressed or not addressed. Um, you know, there are so many great tools out there too for like, you know, how to talk about whether it's gun violence or the Me Too movement or anything that are, that are really well told yeah. from different perspectives. Yeah. So you can see, this is probably why these people think that, and this is why these people think that, and they probably all want this piece or, you know, whatever it is. And, but this, they, good. you know, because of this, they think this is the way, and that's all you got to do. You know, it's like, don't be scared of the subject. Just try and understand they're probably coming from it their angle for this reason and that you know and so and it's that kind of 
that kind of openness and that I think will really make the difference and might even be making the difference now with like with these um, Parkland students, who knows? Yeah. I mean, what, what a movement, like we are watching in real time right now, student led, um, you know, which goes back to your entire premise that, um, these are smart and capable and intelligent and vibrant young adults. I mean, this is, this is a wonderful generation. I hear a lot of, I just hear a lot of crap being talked about them a lot. You know, there's, there's just been a lot of ink spilled about how lazy they are and how entitled and, and how disconnected. And yet that's not my lived experience. That's not what I see. That's not what I see of my kids and their friends. It's not what I see of their, their peers and their classmates. I feel really hopeful about this generation rising up. I mean, do you, you obviously agree this is, you spend your life mentoring them, but what do you see in this next generation that everybody else seems to be missing? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, first of all, the, the kind of the, the not as deep and meaningful um, one is just like, just the fact that they, technology for them is just a part of their reality. You know, that they, they know how totally. to do it. And just like, I was just listening to some of them the other day, some of the students, talking on TV and the way they react to the cruelty on the online is even different mm. because I think some of us, a lot of us personalize it, you know, when something's nasty, I mean, you, my heartbeat will go up. I mean, my, I'll, you yeah. know, I'll, my breath will get short and they're, and these people, they're not immune to it entirely, but they'll say they just, they realize it's just people who use their anonymity to say that the meanest thing doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. And just knowing that, that they navigate those waters better is I think why their their message is is getting across so clearly and and um, and accurately, but I think that I do I think that there's still just like there's still misogyny you know all around us. There's still a lot going on around us, but we're in the middle of the wake up call and Definitely. you know and 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 I think that. With, through mentoring, and, and mentoring can always sound like such a fancy kind of like networking word, but really it could also just be hanging out with, you know, and mm. um, and so what young people need are like just examples, examples of what they can become, and they just need to know, to be reminded of their value, and I don't know, I just think I, I think that we show them, and I'm sure you do this, um, you know, showing that, that 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 younger people they have the right to forge a life of meaning on their own terms. They get to decide what yes. success is. They don't they don't have to do it according right. to what somebody else says. They get to decide what the happy mm. ending looks like. Um, and so I think that anytime people like you and me. Um, and Becca and Joe Saxon or, you know, all the wonderful people, yeah. whenever they're accessible to, to anybody really, but especially to young people, that it really helps this entire thing. It helps them see strong women who are writing their own stories. Mm, that's so great. Uh, something you just said was really interesting to me and just worth noting for those of us who are older that, you know, the, our kids literally grew up with technology. They don't, they don't have a different reality. They don't have a memory without it. And so I think a lot of our, um, you know, the, the, our generations we're just, we're clutching our pearls and we're just so overclimped, you know, over because we are the generation in which technology was introduced. And so we have this shared history before it. And so they're, you know, we're 
famously so bad at change. And so, you know, the adult generation is saying, yeah, but we didn't used to do it like this. And yeah, but we used to just sit across the table or yeah, but we used to just pick up the phone and call one another. And that was our childhood. That was our shared young adulthood. Um, and so we sort of project this negative stereotype onto our kids because they are connected through technology and they are living their lives upon technology. And, and yet it's all they know. So it's not some nefarious departure from what used to be better. Um, it par- oh, in part, perfectly it can, put, you know what I mean? It can be, it can be just like anything can be good or bad, but, right, but they're yeah. not, they're not some garbage generation simply because technology is an integrated part of their life. That's just, this is the life they've, this is the only life they've ever lived. And so we got to do better about that. I agree. You know, and then, and another version of that is just like, I think it was President Obama who said, you know, we need to start teaching coding in schools as if, as we used to teach reading, writing, arithmetic. Like we need sure. to add one now because yes. it's just, it's, it is the world. It's another part of our language now. And so you're so right. Like do, we shouldn't look down on them just because they're using this thing that's been introduced as their normal way of doing things and communicating and learning. Totally. That's a good point. We invented it. We invented the internet and all <laughs> right. of its devices. And then we disparage our kids for using it all. Um, and so we, we, we adults have to do better on this. Um, let's go back to smart girls. I heard you say that um, correctly, that women and girls continue to be very underrepresented in the fields of science and technology and engineering and math. You are right. Um Uh, And you also say that you think girls are discouraged early from seeking a profession in these fields, Um, that they're, like you mentioned a minute ago, obstacles are still up, misogynistic, socioeconomic, or cultural. And I think you're right on all three. Um, Can you talk to us about how you're helping to tear down those walls by advocating an emphasis on STEM programs for girls? Yes, I would love to talk about that. Um, okay. I think also just the whole idea, the whole the, the issue of gender inequality, it's critical because it has to mm-hmm. do with value. It's a value of uh, as a human being. Um, if we're not of equal dignity in one place, then how, you know, we could be devalued and we could be dismissed in other places. So this isn't this isn't tough. You, it, mm. it, it's important that we do this because it's about yes. our, our dignity. But so based on that, what we like to do is try and introduce STEM um, to to people in our community just in ways that maybe they hadn't even known before. You know, there are so many people that, that I, myself included, there's physics and engineering and all kinds of cool stuff all around us, but you just don't know that that's the thing behind it, whether it's, you know, the traffic system sure. or, you know, whatever it could be, but it's all around us. And, um, uh, so we just like to highlight or, or profile people who are involved in this and, and then talk about, um, the jobs they have and what got them into it and what sparked mm-hmm. their interest when they were younger, when they kind of felt like they were drawn towards this kind of thing. And some people aren't, they say I wasn't. And then what, what changed was blank or, you know, and so we just like to, mm-hmm. we just uh, share those stories um, and we also just work with a lot of organizations to have, like the um, Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA. They'll let us do mm. little videos there just to kind of – so you can see what they're doing and how cool it is. And, That's so yeah, great. That cool? And then we also um, – I think we'll get to this, but we had a Fear of Failure Summit, um, and most of the 
the, the, the women who joined me as panelists were from the STEM field. And there were a lot of girls mm. in the audience who just, they, they hadn't heard of women like this before, just for whatever reason. Totally. And so it, it's just like the introduction and the representation. That's where we also really try and swirl things up a little bit. That's so important because girls are no less gifted or predisposed toward any of those areas. They're just, they have the brain capacity, the, the want to, and the desire to succeed in the STEM areas as much as boys, except I do, I can just say categorically starting young boys are steered in that direction and girls are steered toward, um, the arts and, and the humanities, which are also, I mean, obviously that's where I make a living too, but, um, I like the represent representation matters. It really does. Um, it really matters and it matters for women It matters for people of color. Um, and so you can't look, you, you can't look at like our U S government right now and see, whatever it is, 90% white men. And in by any stretch of the imagination, say that is a representative government. You just can't Not do it. All. Not at all. So the, you're, you're, you're picking up that thread in this area for girls. And it really does matter. I mean, you know, those girls only need to see one phenomenal female scientist to give them permission to love what they love um, and to do what they're gifted for. That's it. And And the other thing that's great about it being um, on kind of social media platforms at times is like someone, um, a young girl saw our Instagram story. I think it was about an astronaut or a, or a NASA, somebody very important. And, um, and they started exchanging information. They started uh, just messaging each other through hmm. the Instagram post. And the, it was, a, it was a young woman from India. And that's what she said. She said, there's no one I've seen in my world that is doing this kind of stuff. So now I'm wow. in touch and I know, how like which books to read or which videos to watch. And so that's the other cool thing is the communication that can open up. Oh, I love it. Okay. So a second ago, you mentioned one of the um, fear of failure summits. This is one of my favorite things that you, that smart goal hosts. Can you talk about those a little bit more, what those look like on the ground? Yes. Um, what we do is we just put together a little event and we choose some women, um, and then we and we plan out some other little activities and we invite young women from whatever community to, to join us. And it all started because we just we all do better when we're bolstered to, to stick out the tough moments mm-hmm. and the challenges of life. Um, and so we want to motivate anybody in attendance to take more risks. And like I was saying earlier, not let the fear of feeling embarrassed or not having it perfect. Don't let that stop you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think even the bigger picture is just to learn to, to be okay, to start to learn, to be okay with the unknown. Um, mm. you know, cause that's the other thing when things are unfamiliar, we can kind of stay away from them. And, um, and so since we, the panelists, um, have lived enough years to know that failure doesn't define yeah. you, uh, we know what it's like to fail many times over. Um, mm. We talked about that through our experience, kind of just letting whoever was listening know that it's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, And so we just told our stories with the hope of of, um, showing that mistakes and slip ups and and what what you you know what you call failure, it's a way to grow and develop and and 
um, and it doesn't mean it's not a bummer. It doesn't mean it's not a setback, but you do have yeah. power over Good. how you interpret it for yourself and what you take away from it. And so that's what we just try and talk about. And we do that. And so we have mm-hmm. women share their experiences. And then we also have like little skill building workshops that we, it's kind of like sneaky vegetables. You do it while, while it's something fun. So yeah. we kind of, it's like um, improv exercises that are actually teaching you about you know, how to say, how to mm. say yes and in life and, and, and le- leadership training and things yep. like that. And, and we also give the girls that are there a chance to talk to all the women. So it's kind of like individualized mentorship that's happening all around. And, and the girls really do, they come away from this experience, from these summits with thoughts about their own becoming like they're all their own identity that they that they can help form it along the way and what some of the options are mm. and that there are ups and downs along the way that's really what they're for mm. so fabulous i love everything about it so listen we're going to wrap up this show with three questions that we're asking all of the women who are how i built it in the how i built it series um and here's the first one and you can just answer off the top of your head um who is a person or people whatever in your life that's making you not just a better leader but a better person okay i would say that that is anyone who's challenging me and inspiring me Hmm. um even though the challenging part is not always fun but um um um, i would say that's definitely amy poehler Hmm. and um definitely uh, my own, my immediate family. It's the same kind of thing. They can tell me like it is, but they can also recognize when I'm doing stuff that's pretty good. Love that. Um, Okay. How about this? Somebody in leadership like you, do you consider yourself to be a good follower? And if so, uh, how does that affect what kind of leader you are? Ooh, Mm -hmm. what a good question. Well, I don't think you could be a good leader without the capacity to be a good follower. Um, I agree. Yeah, because otherwise you're it's like you're too involved. It's your own ego and your own needs more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think you need a capacity to see and appreciate the gifts that other people bring, and so it's it, great. Being a, yeah, being a follower. So, and I would say, I would say, like within that, it's kind of like um, you can either build an echo chamber or you can actually build council. And mm, dang, it, that's really good. Yeah. So go for the council side. And mm, that's, that's really good. Following. Yeah. And it's going to be harder. That's harder to hear because you don't have a, you're not surrounded by yes men or yes women, but it's the wise path. It really that's is. the good and the mature path of a, le- of a true leader, honestly. Okay. Last question. We asked every guest on the show, this one, um, and it can be as, it can be as serious, it can be as silly, as big, or as small as you want it to be. Um, we've literally had every kind of answer. But it's a question that Barbara Brown Taylor posed. You may know her. She's also an Episcopal priest. Episcopal priest, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, BBT. We love her. And she asked this question, what is saving your life right now? I would say definitely my two rescue dogs oh, because babies. they're not on Twitter. <laughs> they're <laughs> yes. not on Twitter. <laughs> You're here. But, yes. And there's just like an unconditional love. It doesn't matter what kind of day you had and oh. that, or what happened in the news. They're just the same. So that oh, saves me. But, no, I'm a dog person. That That's real. That's not trite. It's so real. Yes. No, yeah. It's so real. And then I would say, um, the intelligence and soulfulness of the people around me who, mm. who I, who I love the most. And that's like Amy and, mm. um, my life partner, Tom and my family, that's they're being around people with intelligence and depth 
helps me get through days that I feel like things are not going as well as they should right now. (laughs) Yes. That's a beautiful answer. Yes. The the humanity of the people around me that I love the most, it saves me all the time. Just watching watching them live a life of integrity and faithfulness and honor in the midst of chaos. I'm like, okay, we're going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. I want to say what you just said. You just said it so well. (laughs) Pack that on. (laughs) Same, same. We basically said the same thing. That's really, really great. Um, So Meredith, thank you for being on today. Thank you for, I'm so excited about how many people just learned about smart girls. Um, This is under, uh, everybody needs to know this. So many of us are raising girls, um, whether they're, whether they're teens or not, they're coming. And, um, this is really good work. What an amazing use of your skills, of your experiences, of your partnerships. I think this community that you're building, it's matters. I think it has depth and breadth and, um, I'm just, it makes me, it gives me this sense of comfort that there are such smart, talented, successful women building into the next generation. I'm like, Oh, we're all just doing our part. We're all just, we're grabbing hands, we're locking arms, we're determined to build a world that we want to pass on. And I just applaud you um, for your amazing um, capacity for this work and your dedication to it. It is phenomenal. Will you tell everybody um, where they can find you and your resources and smart girl stuff and where do they go to discover all this goodness? Well, you can find us on our Facebook page, our Instagram page. You can go to Twitter if you dare. Um, and also our website is amysmartgirls.com. And that's, so that is it. Okay, lady. Um, cheering you on big time. Well, I'm in great company because thank you. You're the same. When we watching you at Together Live, I just thought, I was like, we are all in this together and we're making life better for us too. So that's thank you. That's the thing. That's the thing. A rising tide lifts every boat in the harbor. I'm convinced of it. And so, and here we are in Austin. And so it's just real dumb that we haven't even gone to have coffee for crying out loud. That is going to change so soon. Once we're both off the road, we will definitely do it. That's exactly it. Whenever that happens. (laughs) Okay, sis. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for being on today. I love these conversations. Just feel like we are in short supply of a lot of hope. (laughs) Isn't it so hopeful to hear about um, women building into the next generation and empowering them to be smart and fun and courageous? Um, I Smart Girls is great. I would love for you to go to their website and see all the amazing content they are putting in front of, of girls right now. If you've got a girl, if you're raising a girl, if you are a girl, this is just a wonderful resource and organization. And I'm just, I'm so happy to introduce you to Meredith. Um, you guys, as always, we will have all of her links, like everything to Smart Girls and to Meredith specifically over on my website at jenhatmaker.com underneath the transcript page. I I'm sorry to beat a dead horse, but I surely hope you guys are using the transcript page. It's such a great resource. My assistant, Amanda builds it out every week with an enormous amount of labor and it has pictures and bonus content and memes and links and everything you could ever want. Like any episode that you seriously love, you need to hightail it over to my website and get more of what you like, uh, at jenhatmaker.com. So we'll have, um, everything you need from this episode over there too. You guys, 
Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for, uh, your great feedback. It's just this, this podcast community is growing and building and I love it. I absolutely love it. And so you are not going to want to miss next week as we continue um, the Women Who Built It series. I mean, this is just, um, this, this one has so much depth and excitement for me. I love it. Interesting note, by the way, Meredith told me before we started recording, and I had no idea that on this series, Joe Saxton and Meredith and Becca Stevens all went on an influencer trip to Haiti together. Like I had no idea. So three out of the five or six women we are highlighting, um, took a trip to Haiti together. (laughs) That's just crazy serendipity. So, okay. Universe. Love it. Um, you guys have a super week and, um, meet me back here. Same time, same place next Wednesday. Bye everybody. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.